You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Awesome. Um, Well, I was going to make a comment how we're all sitting in the center, but we've grown to the outsides. Uh, But welcome. My my name is James, and I'm on the elder team here, and I focus a lot of time on all things kids and youth, and um, uh, look forward to just sharing from God's word uh, to you. We've been, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know we've been in our our vision series that we do uh, every September uh, as a church, kind of looking at the three pillars um, that we try to rally around, gospel, community, and mission. Two weeks ago, we looked at gospel, last week, community, and then today, we'll wrap things up with uh, mission. So I know come September, there's uh, new faces as kind of just kind of a a time of transition, uh, of just kind of moving. And so I I'd commend uh, if you missed the last two weeks, uh, either the first or second, just to jump online and to listen uh, to those messages. It'll give you a good, um, uh, just kind of a good read, a good pulse of who we are uh, as a church um, as you discover if this is a place uh, that God might be calling you to. So I would commend that to you. And today we're going to look at mission uh, and being the guy who does kids and youth, we're going we're gonna to start things out and we're going to have some fun, all right? This worked well in first service, so I'm, I'm praying that this will work. There's a chance this doesn't work, but I'm, I'm going to go for it again. Um, so I need four volunteers. It's not going to be embarrassing. I just need willing individuals to come up stage or up here. Uh, so four volunteers, four volunteers. Yes. All right. Come on up. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Last one. Maya. Yeah, Maya. Give up. You don't have to if you don't want to. I'm just picking on you. Uh, all right. Very cool. Uh, thank you guys for coming up here. Uh, are you coming up? Or are you sending Emery? You can send Emery. All right, Maya, thank you. All right, so what's going to happen here is they're going to just kind of uh, demonstrate this opening illustration. You guys are going to be uh, actors and actresses. Um, we are handing out Academy Awards after this. Uh, so there is something. To do. What, okay, so you guys, you, what you're doing for us to see is that you are our firefighting crew. Right? You are firefighters, uh, obviously, with the purpose of, you know, putting out fires, right? And so we're going to act this out, and we're just going to, for the audience, be able to see this in real time of how this kind of looks and and rolls. So I know, Maya, you're a great driver. So how about you jump here, and you're going to be our driver, all right? So you're at the the entrance. We need somebody to drive the truck, right? And then to get on to, obviously, to get to the emergency, uh, we need a siren, all right? Anybody willing to, without a microphone, be our siren, all right, Jeremy, very good. All right, so you're the siren. Give us a, a sample of your siren. Uh, uh. <laughs> I have never heard that siren noise before. <laughs> very good, all right. But that's our alert. All right, very good. All right, and then when we get to the scene of emergency, obviously we need somebody to pull out the hoses, right? There's a burning building. You want to jump in. You're pulling out the hoses, spraying. You guys might, you've already probably gotten wet from the rain, but we're going to get wet again. You're going to be spraying the hoses. And then, Gabby, you're going to be, like, you're going to be putting out the ladder. Like, in every movie, right, there's somebody trapped in a building. you got to put the ladder up. You're saving, rescuing that individual. So you're going to put the ladder up, climb, get that child or whatever, bring them back to safety, all right? 
We all got our, we know what we're doing. All right, so I'm going to count us down, and then you guys are going to act this out for us. Give us your best performance. All right, you ready? Three, two, one, action. All right, we're dry. <laughs> all right, we got, we got the guy with the hose. Gabby's getting her ladder out. She's climbing up. Very good. Get the child. <laughs> good, good. All right, very good, very good, very good. All right, stay right here. Stay right here. I like that the fire truck was still going. <laughs> After they had gotten to the scene, and the siren never stopped. <laughs> Jeremy, that is the best siren I've ever heard. All right. All right. So real quick, just let's, let's recap. Maya, what was your purpose here in this? To drive them to the fire fastly and efficiently. And you did a great job. All right, Jeremy. To let people know that the truck was coming and there's a road. All right. Very good. And? To douse the flames. Douse the flames. And Gabby? Save the children. All right, very good. All right, give it up for our firefighting crew. You can go back to your seats. Or you could keep sitting there, Maya. Uh, Very good, very good. All right, so um, that was fun. We're going to pray and we're going to head out here. (laughs) Why did we do that? Why did we do that? Well, this was an illustration I didn't think of, but it was from David Platt, well-known pastor. Uh, And the reason why we did this, remember I invited everybody, I invited those four individuals up and they did a great job. They did a great job. They crushed it. Uh, And I gave them all, they were the firefighting crew. I said, hey, your purpose is to what? You know, put out fires, right? Uh, And then I gave them all a role. I gave them a task and they acted that out well for us to visualize and see. Right? And then I asked them before they returned back to their seats, I said, hey, what was, what was your purpose? What was your purpose? What was your purpose? And they all said what their individual responsibility was. And that's not wrong. That's, that's good. Uh, but I intentionally misled you a little bit there. Because remember, a firefighting crew, as I said at the very beginning, right, the overall general purpose of a firefighter is what? To put out fires. It's to save lives, to put out fires. I intentionally misled you guys weren't wrong. Uh, but I did that uh, as, as an opening illustration for us to kind of consider as we jump in and consider uh, mission. Because I think often there's a tendency in the church, and, and honestly looking at my own life, into our life, that you and I, we get so consumed with kind of the what. Or caught up with our tasks or our responsibilities or perhaps even just our gifts or our talents or our personalities. That somewhere along the way, sometimes we often lose sight of the very purpose that God has given you and I or us as a church. And Jesus clearly gives us our purpose, which is what? To go and make disciples of all nations. It's the great commission, right? That Jesus spoke as he left this earth. He said, go and make disciples. And so I want to define what a disciple is because I think this will be really important or helpful for us. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. They are a follower, a learner. A disciple conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of their teacher. And biblically, check this out, I think this is really cool. In Jesus' culture, the children age four or five would begin attending school, and their teacher, who they called a rabbi, would focus in those early years on those first five books of the Old Testament that we have. And often they would memorize the entirety of those books. All right? I would not do well in this school. But the children who excelled in this would continue their education by selecting a rabbi to follow. 
And the more prestigious the rabbi, the more selective the following. Just like in higher education today, if you get a good ACT, you can go into a more prestigious university. That's what happened to me. I went to Iowa State, right? <laughs> I did awful in ACT. But anyways, these children would leave their home. They would leave their family to begin a new life of conforming to the teaching and to the life of their rabbi. Now, if you were a younger sibling, I was a younger sibling of, of four. You know, the, the easiest uh, way to kind of get right at your older sibling was do the, like, like that classic uh, um, game of like you're mimicking them. So like you're at the table, right? And they're like, you know, cross their arms, then you cross their arms. They put their hand and then, and then you put their hand, right? Oftentimes it was like, like I got the little punch or whatever, but I had gotten to them, right? I gotten to their nerve. In the same way, this is what the relationship between the disciple and rabbi looked like. Not that they were getting sucker punched, but that there is this intensity of the disciple conforming exactly to what the rabbi says and does. Yet the point of the rabbi-disciple relationship was never the end in itself. It was the beginning. This relationship was about building a following to create a movement of like-minded individuals around a singular way of thinking. For when a disciple was fully learned, a disciple became a rabbi who, who then took on his own disciple to make disciples to make disciples. A movement of rabbis training disciples to make disciples to make disciples. And this is what Jesus did as our rabbi, right? He began a movement. Jesus invested, we know, he invested in a few, 11 he reproduced his life in these men who immediately began the work, read Acts, and making disciples who made disciples who made disciples. A movement was born. In fact, Paul, I apologize, I'm making a lot of noise. I don't know how to get rid of that. But Paul, 28 years after Jesus left uh, the earth, he says this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, the gospel is bearing fruit. Meaning it's being reproduced and growing across the whole world. This is 28 years after Jesus went up. The gospel had turned upside down the world. 28 years of movement had been started. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, it's said with this understanding that a disciple makes a disciple who makes a disciple. Now listen up. I think it's incredibly easy on a written exam, when it comes to like the mission portion of the test, I can get 100% every time. What's my mission? What's the purpose of the church? I got it. Go and make disciples. I'll give you, I'll give you book, chapter, verse. I'll nail it. 100%. Next question. But where the rubber hits the road or meets the road is actually living out that mission in our daily life. Are we regularly demonstrating the good news of Christ through meeting physical or relational needs within our city and with our neighbors? Are we regularly declaring the good news, the hope of Christ to those who are lost? You see, it's, it's one thing to score 100% on the written portion of the, portion of the exam. It's another thing to actually live out that mission in my everyday life. And my hunch is I'm not the only one who feels that. And I think often it's, it's, it comes back to this idea that we simply fail to remember the grander purpose in our life. The purpose that God has given the church, that God has given to you and I as Christ followers, the purpose of why I am. 
What she says is to go and make disciples. And maybe it's, it's that we just get distracted, right, from the busyness of life. We're all busy. Our calendars are full. I get it. Perhaps we just have low confidence in maybe our biblical training or our biblical just understanding or knowledge. Maybe we just have this tendency to kind of always shrink away from any sort of confrontation. Or I'm just not an extrovert so I can keep silent. Or perhaps our, our hearts are just filled maybe with fear or apathy or something resistant. In the book, Gaining by Losing, pastor and author J.D. Greer quotes a French poet. And I, I would commend this book to you, um, Gaining by Losing. It's been very helpful in my own um, growing uh, as a Christ, Christian. Uh, but he quotes a French poet. I was corrected earlier of how to say this, but I forgot what they said. Uh, what is it? How do you say it? Oh, yeah, we were both there. And I want to say it's Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. I don't know. I don't know French. It's a guy who wrote poems in France. But he says this, and J.D. Greer is quoting him in the book. He says, if you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And J.D. responded from this quote in his book by saying this. When one yearns for the sea, their lack of know-how will not hold them back for long. They will figure out the skills. Our problem is not that we haven't found the right program that enables us to reach the world. Our problem is that we don't yearn to see lost people saved and God's glory spread over the earth. Bad enough to build whatever ships are required to reach people for Christ. So he kind of lays out two paths. What do, you, what do you find to be more true? Is our problem, as he says, that we haven't found the right program that enables us to reach the world? Or is our problem that we don't, as he say, yearn to see lost people saved and God's glory spread over the earth bad enough to build whatever ships are required to reach people for Christ? I would tend, to, as I reflected on it, to agree with the latter. That my failure, that our failure to live out the mission of God is less about technique and it's actually more revealing about my own heart. So this morning, I just want to ask two questions. Two questions. What's my motivation for mission? What's my motivation for mission? And what's my next step to be on mission? What's my next step? So what's my motivation and what's my next step? Let's, let's pray before we jump any further. Jesus, thank you for this time that you have created for us to gather and to look at your word. So Lord, we pray by your spirit that you would open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us in these moments. It's your name we pray. Amen. So first question, what is my motivation? What is my motivation for mission? And when it comes to missions, I don't know about you, but the Apostle Paul quickly just jumps to the forefront of my mind. A, a guy who faithfully declared the gospel to, to, pe- to, to people all around the world, planting churches. And we know that he endured much while faithfully doing this. Listen to his own description of his ministry from 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul has endured as he's gone out on mission. This is what he says. That he's encountered imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. If there's something we can learn from the Apostle Paul, I think it's his motivation for mission, right? How does he keep on keeping on? I think I would have given up after that first thing. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. If you have a, a phone or there's Bibles in the back as well. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, says this. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what compelled Paul? What was Paul's motivation? Well, it's there right in the very beginning, verse 14, right? The love of Christ. The love of Christ compelled Paul. And it's because of this love of Christ that there's there's a reality that is true for every Christian. The love of Christ um, is a very foundational thing. It's an action that has made something very foundational in the life of the Christian. Notice the small and repeated prepositional phrase that Paul uses three times in this text. Three times Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And verse 21, so that in him or in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, because of Jesus' finished work on the cross through his life, death, and resurrection, those who trust in Jesus, as Paul says, are a new creation. And this speaks directly to our new identity in Christ. In Christ... We are forgiven, we're justified, we're blessed, we're adopted, we're set free, we're chosen. This is Ephesians 1 type stuff. We are one with Christ in his life. Which means if our identity is fully now that of Christ, God's mission becomes our mission. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
And we know what ambassadors are, right? They represent someone or something to its fullest. Think of our own ambassadors here for the United States, right? If an ambassador wants to keep their job and they're doing it, they should represent in the fullest measure the expressed desires and wills of our country, right? They represent who we are to the other um, country. And that's what Paul says here in our text, that because we are in Christ, we are now Christ's ambassadors. Because we have come to know reconciliation with God in Christ, we now represent and implore God's message to the world around us, the message of be reconciled with God. You see, it's Paul's identity in Christ that compels him to preach the gospel. And it makes sense. Because if you have an identity of Christ, you know grace, you know mercy, you know unmerited favor, you know unbounded blessing. It's we who are in Christ who should have hearts so full of compassion to share this good news to those who are without hope, to those outside of Christ. Because you're either in Christ or you're out of Christ, dead in your sin. So as as we grow and embrace this identity of being one with Christ, that our hearts in time will begin to beat with his and we'll know the compassion to share that news of Jesus with those who do not know him. So at the end of the day, we cannot be united with Christ and feel no compassion for the lost. It's not possible. Yet hear this. We don't proclaim Christ to secure our place in heaven. That work has already been done. We declare the gospel by our mouths and by our lives because we've freely received a new life. Our motivation for declaring and demonstrating the gospel is rooted in the grace and favor that has been freely given to us in Jesus. It's not a motivation out of duty. It's a motivation out of love. You see, I think our failure to live out the mission of God to make disciples is much less to do about technique. I think it has all the more revealing about our own hearts, about our own understanding of our identity, our position in Christ. Because it's Paul's identity in Christ which compels him to endure all that litany of things, to declare and to demonstrate by his words in his mouth. And it's that same identity in Christ that will compel us to do the same. So that gives us to the second question. What's my next step? What's my next step to be more faithful, to live on mission in my everyday life? Well, you might think this is overly simplistic, but our first step, our last step, and every step in between is always that of growing in our desire and affection for the gospel, a deeper love for who King Jesus is. J.D. Greer also says in the book, Gaining by Losing, he says this, the gospel is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. It's not only the way we begin in Christ, it's the way we grow in Christ. And I like that. I think that's really helpful. Because I always find in my life that I feel like I'm graduating to Christianity 201. That I've accelerated, I've, I've passed the 101 course. Turn with me to John 15.5, if you have a Bible in front of you. John 15.5. And here we have Jesus speaking to his disciples before he went to the cross. It's a long discourse, 
There's lots that he says in there. But in John 15, 5, he says this to his disciples. I, Jesus, am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a familiar text, but I want to make two observations. First, Jesus says that he is the, is the vine, right? And that we as his followers are the branches. Meaning that there's no life outside of Jesus, right? It's pretty simple. And it makes sense. You know, as I thought about it, I, I think of my own daughter who's three years old. And, and oftentimes after dinner, one of our favorite things is just to go on a little bike ride around our block. And our block, it's not terribly large. It's mostly small homes and small roads. And like it literally should take maybe 90 seconds, right, to get around the block. But for us, it takes like, it could take up to like an hour to get around the block, and it's not because I'm a bi- bad bike rider. <laughs> it's because Lucy, literally every two or three feet, if there's a rock, if there's a leaf, if there's a flower, if there's a stick, we're picking it up. And we're going to give it to dad or to mom if, if it's Emily. And, and we're, we're going to hold all these nature in our hands while making it the rest of the way around the block going like half a mile an hour. It's, it's really hard to do. But as soon as we get back to our house, sometimes the flowers make their way into the house, but oftentimes everything is just kind of dumped into this container that's on our picnic table. And it has a bunch of water because of the rain, but the rocks go in there, the, the, the sticks go in there, some of the flowers, you know, everything kind of gets dumped in there. I think in her little, little motherly instinct is like, I'm going to care for nature here. I'm going to sustain its life, Right? But, but, you know, you're not, like, a, a stick is not going to sprout into a tree all of a sudden. You know, the leaves are already crusty and crinkly, and they just kind of, you know, make a mess. Right? Plants have no opportunity for life to pe- detached from their source of life. And that's what Jesus is saying, that there's no life outside of him. And he calls us to abide in him. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're not connected to Christ, then don't expect to succeed in living out his mission in your life. If you're not connected to Christ, then don't expect to succeed in living out his mission in your life. Mission always starts and ends with our personal relationship with Christ. And I want to take us back to the Great Commission because I, I've been learning something uh, in, in here. You know, Jesus says, go and make disciples to all nations. And then he closes that little uh, sentence by saying, we know these words, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember that? And most of us have always read this, I know at least for me, that I read it as a promise. And it is a promise of God's active presence in our everyday life as we go. But it's more than a promise. You see, there's a small little Greek word that is often translated there as surely or low, but here in this text, this word is applied with the imperative, which means that this is actually a command, meaning that as you go and make disciples, you must keep your eyes focused on me. As you commit to this type of lifestyle, you must commit yourself. You must abide in me. And as you abide in me, do not forget that I will be with you. You're not alone. One more observation from John 15, 5. Jesus says to the one who abides in Christ, he says what? He says, he it is that will bear much fruit. 
which means that the followers of Christ, you and I, we have a capacity and a responsibility and an expectation of bearing fruit. Bearing fruit, yes, in our own life as we follow after Christ, but also, I think, bearing fruit in the lives of others. That as we follow Jesus ourselves, we also have the task to help others know and follow Jesus, to bear much fruit. Now, I'm from Iowa. Any go Hawks? <laughs> Just a raise of the hand. <laughs> There was no one in first service either. Man, all right. I thought it would have been more popular. Uh, anyways, I'm from Iowa. So anytime I go anywhere and I say, and they're, you know, typically, quite, hey, where are you from? I say, I'm from Iowa. Typically, I get this question, one or two questions. I say, oh, that's really cool. Like, are you a potato farmer? Or, hey, tell me about corn production. I'm like, <laughs> not Idaho, Iowa. And no, I know nothing about corn. I am not a farmer. I don't know anything about. There's other things in Iowa besides cornfields. It's true. Check it out. Um, but my family, as we were growing up, we did have a large garden in our backyard. And so as the youngest of all the kids, I, I think for whatever is like pecking order, like, okay, James, you're going out and you're going to tend to the garden. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, I was always in the garden. And, um, you know, it, it's a lot of work, right? I know every spring with a shovel, me and my dad, like, we're tilling up the ground, the garden. And we didn't rent one of those things that does it for you. Like, buy shovel are turning over the ground, getting ready for planting. I remember just, like, always, like, sitting on this bucket out there, like, just weeding, weeding the garden. There's unlimited weeds out there in the hot Iowa sun. And my absolute, like, least favorite thing of gardening was, like, when my dad was like, okay, we need to water the garden. I'm like, oh. So, like, you have to get, like, the hose, right, and drag it all the way across the yard. And I don't know, for every reason that I just don't, I still don't like it today. And then, like, water the garden. And I always, as a kid, I'm like, this makes no sense at all, right? Because if you water the garden, weeds just grow more. And it's like, this, this, I don't know. I don't, I don't like this. doesn't make sense. But a lot of you guys garden. I know that. Gardening takes time, doesn't it? It's a lot of work. It's an investment. Tending a garden, bearing fruit, it's not easy. It's hard work. And likewise, following Jesus in our own life and helping others know Jesus in their life, bearing fruit of seeing your life of Christ reproduced in another, it's not easy. And I think it's going to require much of you and me. I know it requires much of you and me. And I think often it's going to feel like weeding a garden of like this seemingly never really ending type of a thing that we do. Like, am I actually accomplishing anything here? And I just see lots of weeds. Am I really doing anything? Is my work paying off? But we know that we're not alone, Right? That as we go, as we live on mission, Jesus by his spirit is with us and that he's for us. And here's where I want to land the plane today. That I think often we think about mission. We think of adding one more thing to our calendar. A calendar that's already too busy. I can't even imagine one more activity that I have to do. But when we look at the Great Commission, I think this is going to be really helpful. When Jesus says to his disciples, go to go and make disciples, the verb for go, we, we don't do it justice in the English. It's actually, uh, it's actually going. It should be translated going or as you go. 
In other words, the going that Jesus is talking about, it's not like an isolated event or an added element to your day or week, such as like an outreach or a mission trip. But Jesus is calling you and I to make disciples as we go to work or as we go into our neighborhoods or as we go to school. We're not adding. We're just living in our, in our um, already realities of life. The Great Commission is an everyday commission for ordinary people like you and me. It's living in the midst of our daily life within our already spheres of influence with a mindset of gospel intentionality. I was in Knoxville this week for work with um, Next Step, and I met with a missions pastor. And I put two and two together. I was going to be up here, and I was like, all right, brother, like, what would you say if you were me on Sunday? And uh, I, I liked what he said, and I think it's helpful as we kind of look to uh, take that next step in our life. He said this. He says, my challenge to the people at our church is to just simply live every day on mission. And to think about it in kind of categories. To live every day on mission where we live, where we work, where we shop, where we study, and where we play. To live every day on mission where we live, work, shop, study, play. If you think about it, that really encompasses our 24-hour day, right? We all live somewhere. We all work somewhere making a paycheck. We all at times have studied to, to, uh, to grow in education. We all shop to get food or clothes. Like we all do that somewhere and we all play somewhere. We have interests. We have hobbies and how we spend our free time. And so I think what would be really helpful is just at some point in the near future this week, even today, like grabbing your spouse or a trusted friend or even at Citigroup and just like, this is like going to be so old school, but grabbing a piece of paper <laughs> and just like making columns to help you kind of orient your mind of like, and, and kind of like the, with the header of columns of like live, work, play, shop, study. And just to draw it out of like, and asking the question, the simple question of, of what opportunities or what relationships do I have within each of these categories where I could look to demonstrate and to declare the gospel? by my life and by my words. I'm just kind of looking across the board. And it's okay if there's maybe nothing on your paper for a few of those categories, that's fine. But let's begin to have that, that mindset of gospel intentionality of where we already are in life and to pray, to pray for those opportunities to be true, to pray for those relationships we already have. And to pray that God would reveal even more opportunities, even more relationships as you walk this out. And last week as we were talking about community, we're doing this together as a church. And the more we lean into community, as was demonstrated up here by the, the firefighting crew, right? They all had individual tasks. They all had gifts and talents that they were able to bring in order to save uh, and put out fires, Right? And when we come together in that unity, that bond that we have in Christ as a church, holding each other accountable by prayer and encouragement, I think something beautiful can emerge as we go out and see our community, uh, the, the gospel going forth here in Madison. So I encourage you to take time to pray and to think through where we live, where we work, shop, study, and play. You know, this past summer, uh, Emily and I just decided as summer kind of 
uh, came back in May that we were just going to intentionally use the warm Wisconsin um, summer months and the extended daylight that we get to just every Thursday um, just invite our neighbors into what we called a Thursday throwdown, which meant our grill was going to be on and we were going to throw down barbecue, okay? Uh, and so every, you know, every week, usually on our bike ride, Lucy, myself, or my wife, we would go out and just let people know, hey, the open invite is there, right? We're going to gather, we're going to eat good food, we're going to play fun games, and we're going to laugh and just get to know each other, right? But intentionally, every Thursday, doing this. You know, nothing like overly spiritual happened. But what did happen was just the ability, the opportunity for my wife and I to, to get to know our neighbors. And in time, over the course of the summer, as you get to know people, you know, you get to know some of the, the struggles too. You know, some of our neighbors lost um, uh, parents or grandparents. And there's personal struggles in parenting and family where we're able just to kind of enter in with them on that. It was an incredible opportunity to kind of take that column of like where we live. We live somewhere and we're going to eat where that somewhere is. So why don't we just invite others into that and be intentional to be available to what God might have? Yeah, as I reflect on this past summer, you know, I've realized that being available is kind of that step one. Creating those opportunities is always going to be step one. But there's even something more that I think has to be true. It's, it's being um, uh, available, creating those opportunities, but then it's also in your heart being ready to proclaim the good news of Christ by your words or by your action. I can remember one throwdown where a mom uh, turned to me and just, it was, she just asked a simple question. It seems simple. <laughs> She's like, hey, what tips do you have in kind of helping Lucy with like corrective behavior? Like how do you... Um, how do you parent through just like corrective behavior type things? And, and the question just like came at me. It just seemed like it came so fast. And there was like a big panic in my heart. And I didn't know what to say. I just stammered out an answer. I remember at that time. But talk about an opportunity, right? To share from a biblical foundational view of kind of how uh, uh, Christ, following Christ shapes my parenting. It was an awesome opportunity, the opportunity, I had, I had made my life available. But yet I wasn't in that moment ready to proclaim the good news, the hope that I have in Christ and that answer. And, and I share that opportunity because I, I want you to hear, well, I, I, before I say that, I guess I, I want you to know, like, as I further reflected on this, like, why didn't I capitalize on that opportunity? And, and it's not sinful that I didn't. But I, I find that there was just, I find that my heart was flooded with fear. That I had lost sight of my identity of who Christ says I am. And fear of just being judged or like that nut of like, oh, there they go again talking about Jesus. Like I didn't want to be that in that moment. I had opened and made my life available, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't in a position. I had lost sight of my identity. And I say that because I, this is not a message of like guilt or shame to declare the good news, the hope that we have in Christ. It's, that's never what it's about. God is gracious as we lean into this and he will continue to give opportunities as you're faithful to it. And I have, and, and since with this, Mother Emily and I, both of us have had opportunities to share more of our faith with her. God is so gracious 
and he is with you. And real quick as we close, I know for a lot of us in that column of, of where we work, it fills out you know, a big part of each and every one of our days, right? Eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, maybe more. And, and everybody's workplace is gonna be different, but how do you live on mission where you work? I know every workplace is different. Some may be easier than others. But I want you to hear this. No matter your workplace situation, is that your life at all times should commend the gospel that you believe. That our actions will always, should always demonstrate the love and grace that we claim and that in time our actions can and should make visible the invisible Christ. People are watching and you have the opportunity to make visible the invisible Christ by how you conduct yourself. And there's a, there's a blog post that I'll post on Slack later here this afternoon of just 20 really quick hitter like ideas of what it could look like just for a small step of like what it could look like to uh, boldly and I just like step out of like, yes, I am a Christ follower. And here's how you could consider doing it. There, here's one that got me as I read through that list. It said, he said this on the blog post. He said, put Christ on the table, meaning when coworkers ask about what you did over the weekend, Mention church instead of intentionally like dancing around it. So there's just a list of 20 or so things I think could be really helpful. Maybe there's one or two where you're like, yeah, that's something that I could really lean into as I'm at work to intentionally have that mindset of gospel intentionality. But here it is, bottom line, let's live every day on mission. Let's live every day on mission where we live, where we work, where we shop, where we study, and where we play. And to remember our purpose in life to which God has called us into to make disciples. Because when we fail to remember our purpose, oftentimes it's just going to lead us into the route of legalistic duty or drudgery. But as Christians, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, you have been given the greatest sense of purpose of why you are. It's not for health or wealth or happiness. It's not for a good education or fulfilling job or for a great family. Our reason for living is to commend King Jesus to others, to make disciples who make disciples, and in so doing, glorify and enjoy God our Father. Let's do it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you this morning. Lord, thank you for, Jesus, for you fulfilling the purpose that your Father sent you to come to save us from our sins. Lord, that in you that we are forgiven and free from the bondage and slavery that we once were in. Lord, may we never take for granted the freedom that you've given us and the new identity that it brings So, Lord, what we have found to be true through you, Lord, help us in our everyday life to boldly proclaim by our life and by our words the message and the hope that we have in you. Lord, help us take a step. Maybe it's real small, but help us to trend towards walking out the mission that you have given us to represent, to be your ambassador. Lord, we need your help to do so. It's your name we pray. Amen.